0: Hello, this is Josh, and welcome to Get Your Goat. I hope everybody had a amazing, fantabulous, that's not even a word, weekend. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Hope you enjoyed it. Spent it watching sports, movies, TV shows, reading a book, catching up on this podcast, whatever is needed, Golden Globes. Oh yes, that reminds me. There is a lot to get into today. Breaking news comes in everywhere today. Uh, Get into sports and things that have happened this past weekend. My top five in the NBA and college basketball. And of course, the Golden Globes. A lot to get into. So let's get into it right away. Starting with the NFL, the breaking news that happened today was J.J. Watt. Signing a two-year deal worth $31 million with the Arizona Cardinals. He didn't have to wait long to be with the team after he was cut by Houston. He is now a member of the Cardinals. This is a huge signing for Arizona. Huge. They now boast... One of the best, if not the best, defensive pass rush duo with the edge. With J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones. This is a great signing by the Cardinals uh, addressing their defense. They didn't have the greatest defense last year at all. Of course they had Chandler Jones, they have Buda Baker, You know, we have Devin Kennard, good linebackers. But with the signing of J.J. Watt, to me, this uh, elevates their defense from just a good defense to a great defense, uh, borderline Super Bowl uh, contending type defense. This can now be a great defense. Yes, they have to prove things on the field. We can't just crowned him yet but this defense could be the real deal Uh, J.J. Watt had a great year last year and in his career uh, his pass rush win rate is amazing same with Chandler Jones they get after a quarterback Uh, yes you know they're good at stopping the run but they're not elite this is probably how you'll beat the Cardinals defense but dropping back to pass with Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt it's going to be rough, and yes, they bring the blitz as well. So with those two guys choosing who to double-team, this will create all sorts of nightmare-type issues for the opposing offensive coordinator and scouts. It will be great. Uh, I just hope J.J. Watt's health can, uh, he can play a full season. Uh, he's sometimes hampered by injury. Uh, So hopefully he can play a whole season and we can see what this Cardinals defense and Cardinals team is made of. So this is a huge signing. This helps out the Cardinals defense so much. It's great to have a great pass rush duo. And to me, this hurts the Seattle Seahawks the most. Well, why is that? Well, now look at their divisional games. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers, the Los Angeles Rams, and the Arizona Cardinals. The Seattle Seahawks have to go against those six teams, or against those three teams, six times. So the Cardinals have J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones. The uh, Los Angeles Rams have Aaron Donald, uh, who gets you know triple teamed, not even double teamed. And then they have Jalen Ramsey back there. And then the 49ers, San Francisco 49ers, are getting back Nick Bosa on defense this coming year. This hurts the Seahawks because they have one of the worst offensive lines in football. They are not good at protecting the quarterback, protecting Russell Wilson. And this was one of uh, Russell's issues with the team. And then now they need to shore up their offensive line. Because going against those six teams or those three teams six times a year is going to be very, very difficult for the Seattle Seahawks offensive line and offense. It's going to be very tough. Yes, division games are wacky. You never know what to expect. Those are the teams you are familiar with the most, and you can definitely game plan better for those teams. But still, this is not good for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they must not like this signing of J.J. Watt entering the NFC West. Again, I am happy J.J. Watt's going there. He's on a real uh, team, a playoff contending team, and no longer in the bottom-feeding, terrible organization that is the Houston Texans. So then next, uh, Deshaun Watson has to go somewhere. That'll be addressed later. But congratulations on J.J. Watt. Upgrading, going to a better team, getting a good contract, pairing up with Chandler Jones. And it'll be exciting to see what happens this year. Chandler Jones only has one year left on his contract. So it'll be interesting to see how that duo plays out and see uh, if it is worth retaining in the future after that. Moving on to the NBA, time to talk about the Lakers. The Lakers, I wouldn't say that they're back-back, but they are back in the winning column on a two-game win streak. They beat the Blazers. They, I picked them to beat the Trailblazers, and I was correct about that pick. I didn't pick any weekend game. Uh, they played the Warriors, uh the other day, yesterday, and they demolished the Warriors. I was very surprised by this. I thought this was going to be a close game, very close, very tight. Uh, if not, you know, the Warriors are uh, winning because Steph Curry has looked amazing. This team has been playing well. The cohesion with this group has been well. So I was totally shell-shocked when the score was like 71 or 73 to 43. At halftime, it was 41 21 into the first quarter. Uh, the Lakers piled it on the Warriors. They looked really good. They had six players in double digits last night. That's what I am talking about. The team has to step up with AD out, and that is what they did yesterday. Uh, Dennis Schroeder got chippy with Steph Curry. Uh, Horton Tucker played well. LeBron James is LeBron James, he played well, Markeith Morris, Marc Gasol, got off to a hot start, so this team played really well, really surprised by this, but to me, what was more surprising was Steph Curry going cold from three-point land, Uh, he only had 16 points yesterday, Uh, this is not something that we've been accustomed to seeing this season with Steph, Uh, He usually has been dropping a lot more points, and uh, you know this game takes a toll on you. When you are carrying the team the way Steph is, Uh, you are bound for a cold night here or there. He has to have the same type of performance I said about LeBron with KD out. Steph has to bring that every night for them to win as well. He has to play at his MVP level night in and night out, because if they don't, they will lose. Of course, with you know no Clay Thompson being there to help out, uh, Draymond Green uh, regression is noticeable, especially from where we have seen him uh, four years ago, five years ago. That has taken a toll, but Steph is the one constant playing so well. Just last night was not his night. Simple as that. The Lakers were more efficient. Uh, Their field goal percentage was much higher. Uh, they just out-rebounded the Warriors as well. as almost double, very much bigger, bigger team than the Warriors, and it was a surprising, again, three-point uh, percentage show from the Lakers. The Lakers were near the 35% mark, and the Warriors were at the 23% mark. So the Lakers, when they lose, they're at that 23% mark. That is when I say... They have to pick it up. So the Lakers were there around, you know, the average thirty-five percent. That is where they have to be continually to keep winning basketball games. So right now, without Anthony Davis, they are three and four. My prediction was four and five. Have I got every single game right? No. But I am definitely close to my prediction uh, to end this this first half of the season. I said four and five. They are at three and four with two games left. They play the Suns tomorrow and then the Kings the day after that. I could see them losing to the Suns. I could see them beating the Kings. I could see them surprising and winning against the Suns and then having a dud the next day against the Kings. I could see him winning both games. I could see him losing both games uh, without AD and the inc- inconsistency of this team. You never know, but the last two games they have looked really well against uh, playoff contending teams such as the Portland Trailblazers and the Golden State Warriors. So I feel very confident about my prediction. But I'd be happy if they beat it and they win the next two games, going five and four into the break. That is something I would be very pleasantly surprised and happy with what else was i right about well friday night i picked the celtics to beat the pacers so that is another thing i was right about my picks i've been doing very well recently uh i am kind of in the zone right now in terms of picking the right things but i'll get into that later as well so now my top five team's in the NBA. Number five to me was definitely the hardest because you have so many teams playing well right now, but who's deserving of top five recognition? You have the Brooklyn Nets, uh, you have the uh, Giannis's team, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Phoenix Suns, the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, where are you going to put all these teams at? So, so I had to snub. The Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks, yes, Brooklyn Nets have looked good. Their offense is efficient, but their defense is not good. And I haven't really seen their big three of Kyrie, James Harden, and KD on the court at all. It's mainly been James Harden. So that is a reason. And then, yes, the Milwaukee Bucks just beat the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh... But to me, compared to last season and the season before and just other teams right now like the Sixers and Lakers and Jazz, uh, they've been beat by those teams. And those teams, to me, have looked better. So let's get into it. Number five is the Phoenix Suns. They're the fifth best team in the league right now to me. Devin Booker is playing at an all-star level. He got his wish granted with the injury of AD. He is that reserve spot, so congratulations on Devin Booker. He deserves it, and CP3 as well, an all-star. He, to me, should be in the MVP conversation. He's such a clutch player, uh, uh, floor general. Uh, he is one of the best passers ever in the history of the NBA. He is special, so it it's pairing with CP3, kind of the older Uh, wiser, you know, teach the young guys their stuff, teaching Devin Booker, Devin Booker getting better. This is a good, good Phoenix Suns team in a loaded Western Conference, and especially in their division. So number five, the Phoenix Suns. Number four, the Philadelphia 76ers. And they have been playing really well. They had a close loss to the Raptors last week. Then they rebounded and beat the Toronto Raptors, uh, and then won another game after that. And then they just had a very, very close loss in overtime to the Cavs, mainly because of their three-point shooting was terrible. That will be the one thing that plagues this team. Um, Worse than the Lakers and worse than any other team to me is their lack of three-point shooters and their three-point shooting skill on their team. Yes, they have Danny Green and Seth Curry, but when those players go cold, that is very, very difficult. So they might have to address that in The trade deadline is trading for another three-point specialist is Ben Simmons. Has only made four career three-point shots in like four years in the league. Joel Embiid is not a three-point threat, even though he is a big man who can shoot shots on occasion from out there. So this would be something they have to shore up. Number three, the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, they had two losses this past week. They played the Grizzlies and split that series. And then yesterday, they lost to the Bucs. So again, it was this tough jumble of grading these teams. But to me, the Clippers have been playing really well. Paul George has been playing well. Have they been playing at championship level? no. Kawhi stated that yesterday, they are not there yet, they are not ready for the next stage, and I agree, they do have to get better. Ty Lue looked frustrated on the bench yesterday, and the loss to the Bucs is Giannis, and the Bucs got the best of this Clippers team. Number two, the Los Angeles Lakers, yes, I was talking about them, and their four straight losses. But they have rebounded back into the win column, back-to-back wins. Uh, Those wins have looked good over quality teams, Portland Trail Blazers and the Golden State Warriors. So we can see if they can continue uh, their little streak for the next two games that they play. But they are playing well in rallying without AD out, at least for now. Number one, of course deserves to be the Utah Jazz Utah Jazz really are so so good they're the number one team in the league for a reason and that's because they have the depth their depth all around is insane Uh, Mike Conley is playing really well Joe Ingles is playing really well uh, in the MVP conversation is uh, Donovan Mitchell, Defensive Player of the Year front runner, Rudy Gobert, Royce O'Neal, uh, Michael Porter Jr. This team is just really, really stout on the defensive end. Then they're making shots on the offensive end as well. So this team deserves to be number one. They're number one for a reason. And to me, until they get stopped in the seven-game series, I think they could finish the year as number one with the best record in the NBA. And tonight, the Jazz are playing the Pelicans. And I expect the Jazz to win mightily uh, with, shall it be a good game? It might, uh, you know, Zion Williamson his box office, but he's going against Rudy Gobert, and I expect the Jazz to get the best of them. So my top five right now in the NBA are the Phoenix Suns, Philadelphia 76ers, Los Angeles Clippers, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Utah Jazz. Those are my top five. I have the Jazz winning tonight. That's one of my picks against the Pelicans, and the other game I'm picking is the Charlotte Hornets. Versus the Portland Trailblazers. I'm picking the Trailblazers. This could be close, but the Trailblazers are on a four-game losing streak where they haven't looked well in any of those losses. Uh, Damian Lillard, you know, after getting all this heap and praise, is kind of in a setback. He's not playing especially as well in second half. So, and this whole team isn't playing well. It's not just him. So the Trailblazers... I will pick to rebound as I did the Lakers against the Trailblazers in a four game losing streak. I am picking the Trailblazers to do the same against the Hornets. The Hornets have been playing really well with LaMelo Ball, but they've been inconsistent. Uh, win, loss, win, loss. I'm picking the Trailblazers and Damian Lillard to get the best of this Hornets team. Now, moving on to college basketball. Still basketball, but just switching it up a little bit. Baylor suffered its first loss to Kansas this past weekend. It was a huge, huge loss that kind of shuffled up the top five, and really a huge loss for uh, this whole weekend to a lot of favorites in the college basketball world. There was a lot of upsets this weekend. And to me, that was the biggest one. Yes, Kansas had a shot in this game, but I don't think anybody had them uh, pegging a big, as big as a win as they did. So that was the biggest loss on Saturday was Baylor losing to Kansas. Baylor hasn't looked good since their return from the COVID-19 break, but they're not the only ones to be upset with a loss as Auburn pulled off an upset to Tennessee. Oklahoma State pulled off an upset over Oklahoma, North Carolina over Florida State, Xavier over Creighton, uh, and Utah over USC. And then yesterday, another huge one was Butler upsetting Villanova. With all those losses on Saturday, it looked like Villanova was primed to sneak into like a number one seed or a the highest two of them all. But Villanova could not do it yesterday. Butler beat them. So then it looked like Ohio State would just remain up there with a win either at 4 or 5. But Iowa had a huge win over Ohio State yesterday. Luca Garza rebounded a week after looking terrible against some Michigan Wolverines and Hunter Dickinson. Uh, Luca Garza dominated that game with 24 points and 11 rebounds. One of the triple doubles we're accustomed to he got the better of EJ Liddell. This team was this game was close, but Iowa really pulled away near the end of that second half. And they have been playing really well and really this whole Big 10 division is really really good. So before I get into my top 5 for college basketball and why the updated rankings came out today for college basketball and Mine is very similar to it. You have one Gonzaga, two Michigan. They leapfrog Baylor. So with Baylor's loss, they are now three. Illinois moved up a spot to four. They were five. And Iowa, with that huge win over Ohio State, moved them up four spots to number five. So there was a lot of shakeup in the AP Top 25 this week. But what about my Top 5? Well, it is mostly the same is what I've just read, but difference is my number five. My number five, I have the West Virginia Mountaineers Is number five ahead of Iowa. They are number six in the rankings, but to me, you have Gonzaga, Michigan, and Baylor separating themselves, and then you have the rest of the pack, the Illinois, Iowa, West Virginia, Ohio State, Alabama, Villanova, Houston, Florida State group from that 4-11. to 11. And I have West Virginia because they are really playing well of recently. They've won eight of their last nine games. They have been really efficient on the offensive end. We're used to that kind of defensive mentality from this team. They're pressed uh, on the floor, uh, getting after them defensively but they've kind of taken a step back defensively. But that hasn't hindered them because they're playing so well offensively. So to me, the balance there with, with West Virginia, the team play, uh, winning big games, to me that's why they're our number five. They only have six losses, uh, whereas a lot of these other teams are at the seven mark that have played as tough games as West Virginia has. And from there on out, mine remains the same. Number four, the Illinois Fighting Illini. Uh, They rebounded from a tough loss to Michigan State last week. Lost their best player uh, in Ayo Donsamu, And they beat Nebraska in Wisconsin. They look good, especially Andre Curbelo. He stepped up in a huge way for Ayo and played really, really well. That's why they're number four. Number three, the Baylor Bears, as I said, they have not looked good since their COVID-19 pause. Uh, It looked like they were going to lose to Iowa State and get upset right away by the worst team in the Big 12. Uh, But they prevailed only to lose to Kansas on Saturday in a game that was close in the first half. But in the second half, showed that Kansas did look better and Baylor is really really struggling the struggle is real with them since their pause so to me you have really teams that have been losing not looking good from the whole whole top 25 spot to the three spot and then you have two really hot teams in the one and two spot number two the Michigan Wolverines they had a huge win versus Iowa where Hunter Dickinson dominated uh Luca Garza and um, they've got the best of this Iowa team who the AP thinks are the number five. So Michigan got the best of them. And then they beat Indiana handily. Uh Hunter Dickinson has looked really good. Franz Wagner is really stepping into a better, bigger role that suited him and he's looking really, really good uh, this whole team Is playing well with Hunter or with uh, Shondi Brown, Isaiah Livers. This team play has been really sensational. But number one, it is none other than the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They are undefeated. Undefeated for a reason. They have beat good teams, and all their wins, most now I want to say all, I think all of them, but one, have been blowouts. Twenty-one straight. Uh, they have looked really good on the offensive end and the defensive end. Yes, I was talking to my dad about this on Saturday. You know, what teams has uh, Gonzaga played because their division is weak, and yes, the West Coast Conference is weak. Other than BYU, there's not really a strong team in that division. And, uh, you know, Gonzaga beat them by 11 points And then the other time, they beat them by like 15. So they beat the good team in their division. But even to start off the season, you know, they beat Kansas. They beat Auburn. They beat West Virginia. They beat Iowa. uh, They beat Virginia. Yes, they were supposed to play against Baylor, but with the COVID issues. So this team is actually really good. They're no scrubs, they're the number one team for a reason and why they have their eyes locked on the number one seed overall for the tournament. So my top five again is the West Virginia Mountaineers, the Illinois Fighting Illini, the Baylor Bears, the Michigan Wolverines, and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Time for some more picks. There's only going to be one game I'm picking tonight, which is Oklahoma Oklahoma State. And I am picking Oklahoma. This is a 16-17 versus matchup. And I am picking Oklahoma because Oklahoma State just beat Oklahoma this past weekend. On Saturday, a quick turnaround to face a team back-to-back. But Cunningham had a great game for Oklahoma State. Played well. Went into overtime. But to me, I don't see them beating them back-to-back twice. Yes, this is a good Oklahoma State team who is severely underrated. Before this win, now they have the respect they deserve. But I definitely feel like Oklahoma will rebound against Oklahoma State. Then you have big matchups tomorrow. You have Illinois versus Michigan. Uh, This is number two versus number four. Uh, This is bigger than the number three versus number four Ohio State Michigan game we got a couple weeks ago. This is huge. But with Illinois not having their star star player, I O. Don't don't do I do not see them winning this game if they do, it'll be close, but bet loss is huge, especially against a Michigan team. They can handle you know the Wisconsin's maybe the Ohio states without him, but as the best team in the best conference Michigan that will be a very tough pill to swallow and then you have Baylor, West Virginia number sixteen, but my top five West Virginia going against number three, in a huge matchup in West Virginia. I think West Virginia could win. Uh, Baylor just needs to get right before their pause, and I think one more loss to them will do it, unless that loss to Kansas really flipped the switch around for them. So a lot of college basketball action, especially getting into this last week of a regular season before it's a tournament, March Madness, and bracket fill outs. Looking forward to that. Now, pivoting to our last sport of the day, which is the NHL. Oh, I was right on another pick, which was the Minnesota Wild. Right on that one, my only bad pick, my wrong pick, was that night I picked the Coyotes over the Avalanche. I thought they wouldn't get behind and have to come back to win, but guess what? They were down 3-0. And then they made it close 3-2, but all their goals came within like the final one minute. And you can't expect to win games and sustain wins as that kind of success. That is not functionable. So they lost that one. They need to get better. My Pittsburgh Payne ones need to get better. Seems like they win one, lose one. And with how tight this Metro division is, you need to get on a win streak. You just have seen that now with the like Washington Capitals. They were kind of in like the same boat as the Penguins, winning one, losing one, but they pulled off a few win streak. And it's not it doesn't have to be big. It's three or four. And guess what? You're sitting alone, number one, atop the very stacked Metro or East division. So they're playing well. Have to give it to the Washington Capitals. So now my two final picks for the NHL. I'm going with, uh, should be a shoe-in, an easy one. The Flames and the Senators. I'm going with the Flames. Even though the Senators have looked hot recently, seemed like they were stuck at four points forever. Vince just stuck in single digits and they weren't going to get out of it. But now they've emerged with 15 and have looked, had a breath breath of fresh air over those Canadians and have looked good since. But I'm picking the Flames. They are the better team and I think they will win. Then I'm going with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers. And for that game, this is a very good matchup. I could see this division showdown constantly. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner going against Connor McDavid and Leon Seidel. Ooh, what a great matchup. Young stars going against each other. But with the Maple Leafs, Just crushing the Oilers 4-0. I could see the Oilers flipping a switch and beating the Maple Leafs. And I do see that, and that is why I am predicting that. I have the Oilers beating the Maple Leafs. It could be close, and this is one I could be totally, totally wrong about. But I definitely see the Oilers winning this game. Will it be close? Yep, I think so. But I'm going with points leader Connor McDavid to get this win for them. Definitely going with that. Then, as I mentioned earlier, uh, as I mentioned in my last podcast, MLB spring training is now underway. The Yankees uh, won today, huge Yankees fan. Of course, they had to lose their first game, but with their pitching, I hope Gary Sanchez plays well his whole season. I hope he does. I hope he rebounds. So, yep, we will monitor MLB spring training. Now, time to get to the Golden Globes. I'm going to stop not talking about the stock market today, as I was not that involved today, as I had a busy day at work. But now, I'll talk about the Golden Globes, as how I spent my 6 to 9 o'clock last night. And I was actually right about a lot of the shows and a lot of the movies, the ones I had predicted. So I will do a quick rundown for all of this. Best television series drama was The Crown. I expected that. I said that will win. Of course, I didn't say that's what it should win, as I'm a huge Mandalorian fan. I thought that should have been higher up. I thought Ratchet was really good with Sarah Paulson. But in the end, I thought The Crown would win because people just love The Crown. That's not something I've watched or been attached to. But definitely thought that was a favorite going in. So I was right about that. Best Television Series, Musical or Comedy with Shit's Creek. Definitely thought that was the case. Uh, I didn't think any of the other contenders other than Ted Lasso was really good. But with... Schitt's Creek winning the Emmys and sweeping that, I just thought, and with its last season, I had that on the edge over Ted Lasso, so I was happy about Schitt's Creek winning that best limited series. Queen's Gambit said that should win, will win, sweep. Uh, Thought that was uh, shoulders, head and shoulders above the rest of the competition, and it really was, I was not surprised at all. About that one. Uh, yes, there was The Undoing, which was a close contestant, but The Queen's Gambit really was the better series. Uh, some of the best streaming numbers for Netflix, and it got people back into chess somehow. Best performance by an actress in a television series drama was Emma Corrin for The Crown. I said on my previous podcast that I wanted Jodie Comer to win for Killing Eve. And I totally stand by that, is I love Jodie, love Sarah Paulson, and Ratched. And I said on my previous podcast that Olivia Colman would win the crown for, or the Golden Globe for her portrayal of Queen Elizabeth and the crown. But I said that on my podcast. But that is not what I picked in my gold derby. I thought I switched it to Emma Corrin. I thought her first time being up. HFPA is going to reward that, and I was right about that. Should have said that on the podcast and not just the day afterwards. Best Performance by an Actor. This was one I was totally wrong about. I said Jason Bateman for Ozark, and then I said, you know, Bob Odenkirk for Better Call Saul was right there. You know, but I was really behind Jason Bateman. So this was definitely a surprise. Uh, Josh O'Connor for The Crown winning this. Is again, I don't watch The Crown, but I heard he was really good in it and deserving. So I am fine with that, even though I prefer Jason Bateman. Best performance by an actress in a comedy series was Catherine O'Hare for Schitt's Creek. I was right about that one. I thought she was, again, head and shoulders above the competition. Outstanding in Schitt's Creek. So I had to give it to her over the field. This was a tough one for... Best performance by an actor in a comedy series. This was between Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso and Eugene Levy for Shit's Creek. But I thought because you know Eugene Levy and Dan Levy are both kind of stars of that show, they kind of split that. Dan's not really a supporting one. I thought Jason Sudeikis would win for Ted Lasso, and he did. He was deserving. He was great in Ted Lasso, and was funny. And it was heartfelt, and I was glad he got recognized in that. Best performance by an actress in a television supporting role was Jillian Anderson for The Crown. I thought The Crown would win most awards. I picked that one, even though I was not familiar with the rest. Best performance by an actor in a television supporting role was John Boyega for Small Acts. Uh, I thought it was going to be Dan Levy. I said that on my podcast. But I actually switched it the day of to John Boyega. There was a lot of momentum riding somehow on the last couple ones. So I went ahead and gave it to John. So I was happy I picked that one correctly. Best performance by an actress in the limited series was Anya Taylor-Joy for The Queen's Gambit. And she was the most deserving. Uh, She was The Queen's Gambit without her. Uh, this show would not have been as good, even with a different lead role. To me, her she is just connected to The Queen's Gambit now. Yes, you had Nicole Kidman for being Undoing, but Anya was just terrific as Beth Harmon in The Queen's Gambit. A relatable, emotional character with a great arc. Anya was great in this show and definitely deserving of this win. Best performance by an actor in a limited series was Mark Ruffalo. I know this much is true. This was a tough one for me between him and Hugh Grant for The Undoing. I think I said Hugh Grant, but I wanted Mark Ruffalo. So I was happy about this for sure. Mark definitely deserved it for the role of playing identical twins. And it seems like the more you take on for your character, more roles you have, even if it's twins or two people in a film, seems like you will get rewarded. And Mark Ruffalo definitely was. Best motion picture drama. The big one, Nomad Land. I definitely I said I it will win. I didn't think it should win. I thought Promising Young Woman. I thought Trial of Chicago Seven was better. Haven't seen the Father. Mink was boring. But I thought Nomad Land was just going to win. It just had the backing of the HFPA. And it just seemed like that was a film, you know, beautifully directed uh, by Chloe Zhao. So I am totally fine with this one winning. As I said, it would win. Got that prediction right. Best motion picture, musical, or comedy was Bo Rat, the sequel. You know, tough competition in Hamilton, uh, Palm Springs, music, the prom. To me, it was really a two-movie race between Bo Rat And Hamilton, and I was going back and forth on this one. I think I said Hamilton would win, and I think I picked Hamilton. But I really kicked myself in the foot because I thought, you know, Borat would win and was the better better movie, Uh, you know, because Hamilton's more of a play. Yes, it's a musical, but Borat's the comedy. And to me, it just had the backing of Sasha because of all his nominations for the Golden Globes. Best director was Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. She created a beautiful movie, a beautiful atmosphere. Is it the most, is it action-packed? Is it the greatest movie? No, definitely not. Not by a long shot, but it was beautifully crafted, beautifully done. Uh, The way she captured this people of the nomads was really great and heart-wrenching and emotional and touching. So Chloe Zhao, I thought, definitely deserved it. Uh, But again, I wanted Emerald Fennel to win for Promising Young Woman or Aaron Sorkin of A Trial of Chicago 7. But I was totally fine with Chloe Zhao winning because she's also directing The Eternals for Marvel. And because of my love for Marvel, she definitely, definitely deserved it. And I was happy to see a great movie before this movie like The Eternals. To me, this was a surprise, yet a snub, and the best performance by an actress in a motion picture. Andre Day won for the United States versus Billie Holiday. I was totally surprised, thought it was a snub. I went with Carrie Mulligan for The Promising Woman. I thought she should win, thought she would win. I was very adamant about that. I thought her toughest competition was from Francis McDormand for Nomadland. And Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I thought, you know, Vanessa Kirby was solid for Pieces of a Woman. Uh, so I was not expecting this from Andre Day. I have not seen the movie, The United States versus Billie Holiday. I heard she went through a great transformation. But to me, Carrie Mulligan just felt like the right person to win at this time. Especially for that movie uh, that was different, yet so great. Definitely thought that should have won. That definitely had me spinning on my heels all night long. Wanted Carey to win so bad. That was devastating for me not to see Carry win for that performance. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture. Drama was Chadwick Boseman, deservedly so for his role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He was great in it, his emotional arc at the end. To me it was between him or Riz Ahmed. For The Sound of Metal, I thought, you know, I wanted him, but I was fine with Chadwick as this uh, is his last nomination forever, and his wife's acceptance speech to him was heartfelt. So I'm totally fine with Chadwick winning, and he is very, very deserving. Another snub slash surprise that threw me off was in the Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. See, it's just the actresses that night just... Surprised at all for me, threw off the top. Rosamund Pike, one for I Care a Lot. I thought it was going to be the Maria Bakalova for Borat. So I was very su- surprised. Did not think Rosamund in that movie. Yes, I saw I Care a Lot. Uh, definitely not my favorite movie. Definitely couldn't believe this. Uh, then I should have saw this coming. If Rosamund won, that Day would have won for the drama section. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture musical or comedy was Sasha Baron Cohen for Baborat. I thought he was going to win, and HFPA loved him this time around again. Best performance by an actress in a supporting role was Jodie Foster, the Mauritanian. And another surprise, I thought, and actually another snub, I thought it was between Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy and Olivia Coleman for A Father, and even Amanda Seyfried. For Manx, she was gaining a lot of steam. So I thought, wow, this could be it. But Jodie Foster took it and, again, surprised me. So then, best performance by an actor in a supporting role in any motion picture was Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. Thought he was the most deserving for how he portrayed Fred Hampton And his control of the screen, his presence in the film was amazing. I thought Sasha would be close, but since his win for Borat, I thought you have to give it to Daniel Kaluuya for his captivating role as Fred Hampton. Best motion picture animated was Soul. Again, to me, that was a given. Easy motion picture foreign language was Minari. That was a given. Uh... And then screenplay, I thought Aaron Sorkin would win for Trial of the Chicago 7, and it did. But I thought Emerald Fennell would be close for Promising Young Woman. So definitely, definitely a lot of surprises and a lot of snubs. I had a lot right, but I thought that two-people races that I thought was going to happen and I was going to be on the wrong side of the spectrum was definitely not the case Those ones I was off by, I was off by a lot. Had them, like, in the last spot. And that is a mistake. Means I have more work to do. More movies to watch. Then, just briefly talking about WandaVision. WandaVision, episode 8, was great. We now have the white vision of a mid credit scene. This sets up huge. We see more of a backstory of Wanda... Throughout her life, her childhood, her adolescence years, uh, her story with vision makes it more emotional. So, the final showdown with her and Agatha will be great. Seeing up what Pietro is up to, uh, what Monica Rambeau is up to, how white vision ties into all this, and they have a lot to tie into, into this last episode, where I've only been a half hour long. So, hopefully, it gets longer. And they tie it all up. Or at least leave just a few questions that can be answered in the Doctor Strange sequel. So that definitely is the craziest. Uh, This is going to be the craziest episode. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to watch it. And for my final. Get your goat take. Oh man, I could come up with so much today. But I'll just end with this note. The Carrie Mulligan I know this is not unpopular. This is probably, a lot of people agree with me. Carrie Mulligan should have won for Best Actress for Promising Young Woman. She was that spectacular. She was that good. To me, she captivated the screen the same way Kaluuya did for Judas and the Black Messiah. To me, that's when you know you win because of how captivating just one person's performance is in a movie. That's why she should have won. And with the Cardinals... Getting J.J. Watt, I see them doing better now than the Seahawks in the division. Before I had the uh, Rams, actually I have the Rams 1, uh, Seahawks slash 49ers duking it out for 2 and 3, and the Cardinals at the 4. With the addition of J.J. Watt, I have the Rams still at 1. I am moving up the Cardinals to the 2 Spot and then the Seahawks Rams fighting it out for three and four. Seahawks would possibly get four, most likely, I think. So that's huge. I could see them getting the seven seed and then playing the two seed, which could be to me the Bucks or the Packers in the wild card round. So definitely huge news today with that JJ Watt signing of uh for the Cardinals. And I could see this playing paying huge dividends. For them in the future. So congratulations J.J. Watt. You keep going. This has been a fun episode of Get Your Goat. This is it. I hope everybody had a great weekend. And is getting back to the grind. Of the rest of the week. Have a good week everybody. I'll talk to you soon.